This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 11 again, He said, Unto you it's given to know the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of God. The kingdom whereby God's will is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, folks, I want you to understand there's a secret. Well, what is the secret? Well, Jesus explains the parable. He explains that the sower is sowing the word or speaking the word of God. He said there are different kinds of people that produce different kinds of results. Some people hear it and the devil is able to plant doubt in their mind immediately and do away with the power of the word that they heard. Some people are like stony ground who initially hear the word, but they don't have any root in themselves or have any moisture. They don't continue to water the word. So he's literally saying people, there are certain types of people that won't stay with it because affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake. There are other types of people that Jesus identifies as as those that fell among thorns. They get distracted by the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, and the cares of this world enter in. But there is one type of people, one type of ground that Jesus identifies that brings forth fruit. In different measures, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Those are the ones that don't let the affliction of persecution stop them. They had the same situations to deal with that the stony ground had. They don't let the cares of this world or the lust of other things or the deceitfulness of riches distract them. They had the same things to deal with that the thorny ground had. But they hear the word and keep it. By that, the word means, Jesus means, they continue to speak the word of God in their situation. And they bring forth fruit. In different measures, but they bring forth fruit. It produces results. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's the mystery. Here's the secret to the kingdom of God. No matter what, keep speaking the word. Jesus goes on to tell us some other things about this. Verse 26, he said, It's so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. The casting seed, he's talking about is speaking the word. He's talking about the words of your mouth being like seeds that you plant in the ground. He said, the whole of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus defined the kingdom of God for us. The kingdom whereby God's will is done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. He said, what is that kingdom like? It's like a man planting seed in the, in the ground. And should sleep and rise night and day and, be, and the seed should spring up, spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. He's very simply saying this, the whole of the kingdom of God, everything about God's will being done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven, comes down to you speaking the word. Now, it doesn't work instantly. If it worked instantly, he wouldn't have to tell us about rising and sleeping day after day and night after night. He's saying very simply that you'll eventually have what you say. You'll eventually have what you say. Now he gave us another example of the kingdom of God that we haven't looked at before that I want to make mention of because I think it's really important. Verse 30, 
And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? That kingdom where the will of God is done in your life here on the earth like it is in heaven. Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Notice what Jesus said. He said, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown into the earth is less or smaller than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, this is something that I think is very important because there are so many situations in our lives and so many situations that that people face that it seems like speaking the word is insignificant concerning the size or the scope or the severity, the critical nature of the situation that they're in. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people over the years come to me and say, Pastor Mike, here's a problem. I got blindsided with this and boy, this is a mess. What am I supposed to do? And I'll say, well, you better start speaking the word. Yeah, 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 I know that. But what am I supposed to do? Speak the word. Yeah, I know, but I've got to do something. And they don't equate speaking the word with taking action. Because the problem looks so much bigger than just the spoken word. And the deadline is looming or the the condition is critical, whatever the case might be. And so the idea that we're just going to speak words and count that as really making a difference is just unfathomable, unfathomable to them. I planted something uh, in my backyard a couple of years ago and I ordered some seed and when the seed came, I was chopped. I mean, you had to have a handful of stuff just to see that there's anything in your hand. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about with the grain of mustard seed. It looks insignificant, but you give it enough time to grow and take root. And it'll become so much bigger than your problem. It'll completely overshadow it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to tell us. God's will in your life can get bigger than any problem the devil can throw at you. And that's the way God wants it to be. Unfortunately, a lot of people won't receive that. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Corinthians were an interesting group. They had all the power of the Holy Ghost in operation in their church. But Paul says that they're carnal Christians. The word carnal, the word that he used for carnal, it means body ruled. In other words, their thinking is ruled by their five physical senses rather than by the word. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Now here's why the mysteries of the kingdom of God are mysteries. Because people that think naturally, and of course... In a a general sense, he's talking about the unsaved, but it's true in the spiritual sense for Christians who haven't renewed their mind to the word. You can be a Christian and still think naturally. You can be a Christian and still operate as a natural man. You're not supposed to. The word's designed to change your thinking so that you begin to operate spiritually. 
But we all know that that's a process and not everybody even undertakes the process. So he says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Now, the things of the Spirit of God would include the kingdom of God, would they not? So let's substitute the definition for the kingdom of God and see what he's saying. At least one thing he's saying. The natural man receives not the will of God on the earth like it is in heaven. Have we done any injustice to the scripture? Now, that's not all there is to the spirit of God into his operation, but it would certainly include it, would it not? The Bible says the Holy Ghost will lead you into victory. Well, what is victory if not the will of God on the earth like it is in heaven? So he says the natural man receives not the will of God in his life here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, why? Why is that? What keeps one person or one group of people from receiving the will of God in their lives here on the earth just like it is in heaven when, and we're talking about Christians whose minds are not renewed to the word now, when it's the will of God for them just as much as it is for everybody else? What makes the difference? He said, the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God or the kingdom of God for they the things of the kingdom of God or the secrets to the kingdom of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned or understood. What he's saying very simply is that there are a lot of Christians. We certainly understand this is true for the unsaved. But there are a lot of Christians that are going to pass up on the will of God being done in their life here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Even though Jesus clearly said that that's the will of God even though Jesus clearly said the new birth is the entrance into that kingdom, that plan, that purpose of God, there are a lot of people that won't receive it because they consider God's means or methods the secret of speaking the word of God to be foolishness. Look with me over to Romans chapter 8. Jesus is talking, or what's his name? Paul is talking to the Romans about being spiritually minded versus carnally minded. Notice he says in verse 5, now here specifically he's speaking about the unsaved, but again the same thing is true with Christians who have not renewed their minds to the word and are living just like the world. They may be saved, thank God they are, on their way to heaven, but they're living their life here on the earth just like they did when they were unsaved or just like others who are unsaved live their lives. So notice he says in verse 5, he said, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Now what's the death that he's talking about? Well, spiritual death for the unsaved. But the results of spiritual death for those that are saved with unrenewed minds. In Romans chapter 12, this is the very group that he tells to renew their minds to the Word. So Paul is saying to be carnally minded, to let your actions and your attitudes and your thoughts be governed by your five physical senses in the circumstances of this world rather than the truth of the word of God. He said to be carnally minded is death. It'll bring you into the consequences of Satan, of Adam's original sin when he yielded his will to Satan. To be carnally minded is death. He's saying the same thing as he said to the Corinthians. The natural man, the natural mind will not receive the things of the kingdom of God. 
To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, to think according to the word of God, which tells us that the secret to the kingdom of God is to speak the word, will bring life and peace. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus during the time that he was in the heart of the earth. Jesus was born again and he was raised from the dead. The Bible says he was raised from the dead when you were justified, when you were declared righteous. In other words, the price was paid and God said, that's enough. Mankind is declared righteous because of the sacrifice of my son. Now there's only one thing left to do, and that is to accept what he's done for you. Hi, I'm Chip Kimmick, one of the associate pastors here at Foothill Family Church. I wanted to take this time to invite you to come celebrate Easter with us here at Foothill Family on Sunday, April 16th. Enjoy some fellowship, worship, and a message by Pastor Mike about the hope that Jesus has brought us. Come join our family on Easter Sunday. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, why is that? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enemy, enmity, which means the enemy against God. The carnal mind, the mind that refuses to speak the word into the midst of the circumstance, is the enemy of God. Now, why is it the enemy of God? Is God not greater than your mind? It's the enemy of God because God's means and method of making his will come to pass on the earth in your life now just like it is in heaven, is to speak the word of God. And the carnal mind won't do that. The carnal mind won't do that. One fellow came up to a preacher and says, "I'm uh, faith stuff doesn't work. He says, oh, really? Why do you say that? He said, well, I confessed 300 times in a day that I had a new car and I didn't have one. Didn't get one. Well, see, he got a formula. He didn't get the principle. He thinks it's a formula. It's not. It's a principle. The word of God spoken from your heart because you've made a determined choice to accept the word of God as being more true, more real than the circumstances that surround you. That's the principle. So he says, the carnal mind is the enemy of God for it is not subject to the law of God. Please notice that. He's not subject to the law of God. Now, he's not talking about the Old Testament law. The law of God he's talking about is the principles that govern the kingdom of God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. The principles that govern the kingdom of God, in other words, neither indeed can it be. In other words, you're going to have to change your thinking if you're going to get the will of God to work in your life here on the earth. You're going to have to change your thinking. Now, what does the devil do to try to keep you from speaking the word? Well, in the story, the the parable that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 4, He brought affliction. He brought persecution. He brought the deceitfulness of riches. He brought the lusts of other things. Lust is is not a sexual term there. It just means desire for other things. And he brought the cares of this world. Every one of those are designed to do one and only one thing, and that is to distract you. I want you to notice that none of those can hurt you. But they can draw your attention away. And that's his purpose. 
His purpose is to draw your attention away. Now, I want you to turn with me over to James chapter 3. I'm trusting God to help me get this out. Because I saw something here over the last couple of days that's really been a big help to me. I trust it will be to you. A lot of times the Holy Ghost gives me pictures or illustrations of things to help me recognize the importance of what I'm doing. It's, uh, I hate to use this example, but I, I don't know of a better one to use. I used to lift weights when I was younger. Them days may be gone forever. <laughs> but one of the things you, you begin to learn from people that, that do it better than you, one of the things that I found is that they would talk about getting your mind in the muscle. I would hear that phrase and I'd think, what in the world are they talking about? I'm thinking, I'm not here in the gym to think weights. Wouldn't it be great if you could think weights and get the same result as going to the gym? But they found a place where they would concentrate their focus on the muscles that they were using to such a degree that they'd get more benefit out of lifting the weights than I was getting, even though I might be lifting the same weights. That's one of the hardest things for me to understand. But when I did understand it, when I finally did begin to operate according to it, I saw a lot of growth and increase. Well, in the same way, spiritually, I've used that as kind of a, a guideline to get my mind into the spiritual activity that I'm engaged in. I think a lot of times people let their minds wander when it would serve them well to focus their mind on what they're doing spiritually. Well, that's why the Holy Ghost gives me pictures because it helps me get my mind in the spiritual activity. Now in James chapter 3, James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And he writes this from a pastor's standpoint. And the book of James is probably the most practical application of Christian life of anything we have in the New Testament. As such, there are some pretty uh, pointed criticisms of Christians and, and people that claim certain things and don't live them and so forth. But James is talking about the power of the tongue, specifically the misuse of the tongue. And in James chapter 3, we won't read everything that he says. Let's start in verse 5. We'll read verse 5 and verse 6. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member of the body, in other words, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. Now what he's saying is, no matter how big a fire is or how destructive a fire is, it all starts with one spark. The biggest fire, the most destructive fire ever known to man started with one spark. We know that to be true, don't we? So he says one spark can create a huge problem. Now again, he's talking about the misuse of the tongue. Verse 6, he goes on, he says, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity or sin. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. And setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Now he's talking about the unrenewed mind 
He's talking about how Christians naturally use their tongue. This is one of the things that I, I think is uh, most important to recognize that took place at the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Adam lost control of his tongue. Because that's not this in James chapter 3. It's not the description of the tongue when God created it. The Bible says after God made man, he looked at it and saw that it was very good. Well, if Adam had a tongue that was set on fire of hell, that wouldn't be very good, would it? So it's certainly talking about the difference in the tongue before the fall and after the fall. But now what was the tongue like before the fall? Well, Adam was operating out of his spirit. He had the life and the presence of God as his source of life. And as such, even though he had five physical senses, they didn't govern his life. Everything Adam said was hooked up to his spirit. See, some people question what's this tongues stuff being filled with the Holy Ghost and tongues for in the New Testament. It's a way for your tongue to get hooked back up with your spirit which I see as of primary importance and value. Well, before the fall, Adam, everything Adam did was in the spirit. That's all he was. Every natural activity that he engaged in here on the earth came from a spiritual origin. That means every word that he spoke was spirit and life, just like Jesus said of his own words. Why were Jesus' words spirit and life? Because he's operating from his spirit, where the spirit of God is, the life of God is. Well, that's the same condition that Adam was in before the fall. So Adam's tongue was hooked up to his spirit. Now, what do we know about words spoken before the fall? So what do we know? We know that when God spoke, an explosion took place. That means words, both positive and negative, can be like a fire. Now, we use... We think of, when we read James chapter 5, or James chapter 3, excuse me, we think of fire as being a destructive force, and it can be. But controlled fire is very helpful. Grenades are sparked. A spark lights the timer. I'm sorry, not the timer, the primer, which lights the fuse inside of the thing, which lights the, the fuel that powers the grenade and the explosion occurs. Now, I saw it this way. I hope this makes sense to you. Because it's helping me. But I saw it this way. Jesus said that he would give unto us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He said upon the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us, the authority that he's given to us as believers, the righteousness of God in Christ, he said the gates of hell should not prevail against it. I would submit to you that no matter how big a problem, you keep throwing enough grenades at it and that problem will move. In Ephesians chapter 6, he said that Satan had fiery darts, but that we had a shield of faith that would quench those. Well, warfare is advanced from throwing fiery arrows, shooting fiery arrows. Our fire, sparked by the words of our mouth, are much more effective than fiery darts. And Satan doesn't have an offense. He has no shield of faith. Wouldn't that be funny? So when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he's very simply saying, throw enough grenades at that sucker and it'll break down. 
Now, the explosion I'm talking about, there are two types of explosions, two types of barriers that those explosions will affect. The Bible talks about the devil's strongholds in your thinking. One of the things that takes place when you speak the word is that it changes your thinking. Little by little, you'll begin to believe what you're saying instead of what you used to think. Your thinking will be changed. So that's one place, one stronghold, one barrier that we need to blow up is wrong thinking. But then clearly there's a physical barrier. Or maybe I should say it this way, a barrier between the spirit realm and the physical realm. And there are certain things that break that barrier down instantly. You remember over in Acts chapter 3 when Jesus, I'm sorry, when Peter and John came to the beautiful gate and found the crippled man there. Peter said, such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now that was a great explosion because something penetrated the spirit realm from the spirit realm, penetrated the barrier between the spirit and the natural realm. And all of a sudden that man was healed. I don't know about you, but I want to be a bomb thrower all my life. And that's what you do when you're speaking the word of God. You're throwing bombs at the enemy. You're throwing bombs at the enemy. Don't have to worry about running out. Unlimited supply of ammunition. But that's our job as believers. That's the warfare that we're in. Keep throwing bombs. Keep throwing grenades. He has no defense, folks. There's no defense he has for the power of the word. And instead of letting your tongue be set on fire of the course of hell, let your tongue be set on fire of the power of God. It's a fire either way. The only question is, is it going to be a fire that benefits you or brings cursing into your life? When Jesus said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind, bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You have the authority to bind everything here on the earth in your life now that God is already bound in heaven. That's sin, that's sickness, that's disease, that's poverty, that's depression, that's every other consequence and characteristic of spiritual death. He furthermore said, and you have the authority to loose in your life here on the earth everything that's been loosed in heaven. Well, what's been loosed in heaven? Everything good. Healing, well-being, abundance, everything is good. You're the one that has authority to loose that. In every situation, in every circumstance, be a bomb thrower. No wonder the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What defense does the devil have for you throwing the word of God in his face? The power of God that cannot be broken. What defense does he have? None whatsoever. Jesus defined the prayer of faith by saying, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Don't let your circumstances take you away from believing and confessing what you prayed to receive. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. He's telling us 
this is God's will. Now, folks, that'll answer every question that there is when you come to realize that God's will is the same thing for you right now while you're here as it is and will be when you get to heaven. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.